Less than 24 hours, Georgians will be under a shelter-in-place order. McDonald, though, said he did not know the man was handcuffed and was trying to use his foot to pin him to the ground so he could be handcuffed. If your friends, neighbors, or local organizations are not complying, report them to us. Howdy, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Free Georgia Podcast. My name is Jake Green. Thank you all for joining us today. We are first going to talk about the Great Create, which is happening May 12th through the 14th in Cherokee Pines or at Cherokee Pines in Perry, Georgia. It is a DIY festival that is doubling as the Libertarian Party of Georgia's uh, yearly uh, convention. But the first two days are a DIY Freedom Festival, mainly focused on um, being self-sufficient, uh, being able to do things yourself, uh, learning new skills and all that kind of stuff. Um, we've got some great speakers coming, um, including Reed Coverdale, Shane Hazel, Edgar Mills and John Mons. Um, and today joining us, we've got Mr. Dave Miller from Frontline Medical Defense. Dave, thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, first off, why did you, or can you give us a brief rundown on, on what Frontline Medical Defense is? Uh, yeah. So we're a small business uh, based out of Cobb County, Georgia, but we service kind of the whole metro Atlanta area, um, kind of all over the state, just kind of really depending on where the need is or where our customer is. Um, we started out of 2021. Uh, what I saw was a lack of training and uh, quality first aid kits that were available out on the market. And again, that person-to-person, in-person training um, that was maybe a little bit more than your normal uh, first aid training. Um, so we are CPR instructors, AHA instructors. Uh, I'm a stop the bleed instructor. Um, and then we've developed some of our own um, first aid basics courses that um, we teach and some of them we package all together as like a six, seven hour course that mm. will take the uh, the customer, the the client through again, getting a CPR certification, stop the bleed certification, <clears throat> and then some basic um, first aid essentials um, talking about what should go in a first aid kit, why this should be in a first aid kit, maybe some of the different varieties of first aid kits. Um, so we teach that and then we sell all of those those goods that go in it so we can custom build you a first aid kit for your business. Um, we've taught at YouTube studios. We've been to churches. We've been to private uh, gun clubs. Um, we recently sold some kits to a, a local police department. They were putting in their vests. Um, we've got big medical cabinets that we've put in some locations that we service on a quarterly basis. Um, then we've got e-commerce as well. So we've got a whole range of first aid kits that uh, you can look through and buy. Um, and again, we do custom order stuff. We've had people call from, you know, fly fishing boats up in Montana to, um, again, large medical cabinets to go kind of OSHA compliant um, anywhere. And uh, so it all kind of stemmed from, I'm a full-time firefighter and paramedic for a local Metro Atlanta uh, department. I've been there for 16 years and um, been a paramedic for the last 10. I was an EMT before that. Uh, you know, really, we run some calls and and we don't use a lot of stuff on a lot of calls. Um, mm -hmm. But you'll go to Walmart and buy a kit that's got a thousand Band-Aids in it. And um, it's really not what you need. 
Um, and some of the stuff we're going to talk about there at the Great Create is kind of bridging that gap between when you get injured and when a first responder uh, actually arrives on the scene and trying to survive the gap that that is there between, you know, when something happens and when somebody arrives. Gotcha. Gotcha. You kind of, man, I have so many questions now. That, <laughs> uh, uh, that's just opens up a whole box. <laughs> um, first off, like, uh, why did you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but why did you start this in 2021? Uh, again, so I just feel like, you know, A, I, I wanted to start a business. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of, you know, the, the, the impetus for it all is I, I want to do something. You know, a lot of firemen have second jobs. Uh, that's mm -hmm. pretty, pretty standard on our schedule and, and income. Um, and so what did I know how to do, you know, um, mm -hmm. again, I, we, we run the ambulance service where I work. So I, we ride the ambulance every couple of shifts, run the fire truck every other couple of shifts. And, um, you know, so what do I know? Uh, well, this is, I know first aid, I know EMS, I know how to treat injuries. Um, and again, the lack, I think of education out there in between, you know, surviving the injury and, and surviving to definitive care. Um, and then the equipment really that gets it done. Um, I feel like is a, is a, an important part to get out in the, um, the current atmosphere and climate with, you know, COVID was so rampant and the fear was so present with it. Mm -hmm. um, then to school shootings and mass shootings. So the, the stop the bleed is a really big um, thing that I enjoy teaching. Um, it's a smaller program. Not sure if you've ever heard of it or not, um, but it's, it's, again, it's a newer program developed out of um, uh, the, the Sandy Hook school shooting. They kind of got together and said, how can we stop people from dying? And essentially came up with the, stop the bleed, save a life. So we're, I really enjoy teaching that. Um, and again, that goes hand in hand with teaching people how to survive, you know, the, the average national response of a first responder, which is seven to 10 minutes. And um, if you can't survive the interim, well, you don't have a really good chance to survive into the to definitive care. Yeah, that's true. okay. Um, can you, you said something about, uh, becoming a paramedic after being an EMT. Can you tell people the difference between those two? Cause I don't think a lot of people know. What the uh, yep. So basically it's just a difference in scope of practice. Um, EMT school for me, I did prior to my um, employment with the fire department and it was out of a, a technical school. It took me, I think it was eight months uh, once or twice a week for a couple of hours. Um, and then you pass your national registry tests and the, the, you know, psychomotor, all that kind of stuff. And then you can do a little bit of stuff. You can bandage wounds a little more appropriately. You can give a little bit of medications. You understand how to remove somebody from a vehicle and kind of do your basic assessment. Um, so after a few years of being the EMT and, and teching calls in the ambulance that were low acuity, so not, not very bad nature calls, you know, we, you know, stub toes and upset stomach and Maybe a broken bone here or there as a EMT. Um, so my department hosts their own paramedic school. So I opted to go through paramedic school. And that was um, two or three times a week for about a year. So the the schooling is vastly different. Now it's even longer. Um, think upwards of 15, 16 months to get through paramedic school now. Hundreds of hours of schooling, um, hundreds of hours of clinicals in the ER, the OR, OB, 
psych, you, you go through all these different um, uh, levels of understanding. Um, so then along with that, you can read uh, EKGs and do 12 leads, look for heart attacks. You can understand different rhythms. Um, then you're able to give a lot more drugs for, you know, pain management and nausea, vomiting. Um, you know, a lot of it is the cardiac drugs that we add in there along with narcotics. Mm. Wow. Okay. So it seems a lot more intensive to be a it, paramedic. <laughs> it's a lot more intensive and, uh, the responsibility, um, lies a lot more on you when something goes bad, they look to you and think, okay, what are we doing? And uh, right. you got to have a game plan. Now we've got protocols. There's a doctor that um, writes all of our protocols for the department. And then we can call the hospital. You know, I call the hospital, not, not all that regular, but if I come up to something, I'm not sure what to do or a dosage or a whatever, I can call the hospital, the receiving facility and say, Hey, this is what I've got. These are the drugs I have. What do you recommend we do? And they kind of help lead you down a path of, of treatment and uh, management. So it's, you're not out there alone, but you're working, you know, trying to do things in the back of the ambulance, going as quick as you can to the hospital down bumpy roads mm -hmm. and um, trying to keep people alive is uh, it's fun. And it's interesting. I, I can't sit in an office all day. I got to do paperwork occasionally and it uh, it's tough on me. So. <laughs> yeah, I can completely understand, understand that. Um, what made you uh, start out being a fireman? Um, so I guess I just wanted to help people. I was in the Navy very briefly, um, back after right out of high school. Um, so I came back and was kind of faltered a little bit. Um, I went to Kennesaw state university, kind of working on a business degree. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I don't know, I was living with some roommates and just kind of was like, you know what, this, I think this is what I want to go do. And uh, I convinced one of my roommates to go to EMT school with me. Um, so we both went to EMT school and actually got hired at the same, same fire department, went through the same recruit school. And, uh, we've both been there now for the past 16 years. And, um, you know, for me, and it kind of, it's the, the business thing as well. And again, to come into the great great to, to teach people, you know, if you can make anybody go home or allow them to go home, it's all worth it. You know, you're mm -hmm. able to get that mother, father, daughter, son, child back to their loved ones, whatever the, the circumstance may be you know, whether it's out of a car wreck or a fire or, um, you know, an illness or injury, uh, being able to help those people go back home, be with their loved ones is what makes it worth it. You know, I'm married, I got two kids um, and I want somebody to come help my family in the time of need if I'm not around. And that's kind of what the fire department is, what EMS police, you know, um, when somebody doesn't know what to do, they call 911. And, yeah. um, you know, so that's that's where we come in. And uh, that's why I think it's also really important to have a couple of classes under your belt so that, again, that that national average of a response time is seven to 10 minutes for a first responder to get there. Um, and if you have to do CPR on somebody or they're not breathing, no pulse, you've only got a couple of minutes to keep the blood pumping around the body or you come across somebody who's got a massive bleeding injury. You've only got a couple of minutes to put a tourniquet on somebody in the appropriate way um, to stop the bleeding and, and allow them to again to get to that definitive care and have surgical intervention. If you miss that that window um, on the very early onset, uh, your outcome uh, is a lot poorer than if you're able to have some sort of intervention in the interim, waiting for a first responder to get there. Interesting, interesting. I've got your here. I'm going to pull up your website real quick. 
So I've got it queued up. Um, talking a lot about courses, and I was looking through this website uh, before we started talking. Um, what what courses would you recommend to like somebody who just wants to start out? Like what? Are uh, yep. So that core immediate responder course is something I've kind of developed as kind of going through the times. I was actually at a um, a YouTube studio doing a a class and recording one of their um, videos, and I I kind of got talking on like, well, the two classes I think everybody should have is CPR and stop the bleed. You know, okay. so that's, that's this core immediate responder course. I kind of put together that you're going to get your CPR certification. You're going to get your stop the bleed certification. And then we're going to touch on some first aid essentials and basics about, you know, what normal heart rate is, what's a normal respiratory rate. How do we assess somebody's level of consciousness? Um, then we get into, you know, if you're going to build your own first aid kit, what should be in these first aid kits to actually make a difference? Again, you don't need a thousand band-aids. You need a couple, I feel, essential items really, again, to to bridge that gap between, between point of injury and either the first responder or that definitive care. Um, mm -hmm. if you can't, again, if you can't survive that interim, um, you, you're not even going to make it to the hospital. So that core immediate responder course, um, you know, we can come on site and teach that. This one is specifically hosted out of a gun range um, in Jasper, Georgia, and that's $100. That's a six or seven hour course. Okay. Then again, we teach CPR occasionally. We teach Stop the Bleed, again, individually, occasionally. Um, mm -hmm. We've got course dates on there. Um, and then again, you can hire us in. We kind of have a minimum, um, a minimum dollar amount where we'll come to your facility. And we bring mm -hmm. all of the, the teaching aids with us, the course curriculum, the, the uh, fake legs, all that kind of stuff, and allow <laughs> you to... Um, you know, we got, uh, wound simulators that bleed. Um, wow. so we try and bring everything with us. So you really have to do is show up and, um, and take the train and listen. It, it works a lot better when people are, are into it. Typically, like I've taught some other first responders, um, mm -hmm. and they're great, but they're just not as enthused. You know, somebody that has hired me in or their business or they're paying to come take the class, they are really interested in the class. They are there for the reason, as opposed to somebody else is like, hey, I want you to go take this class. And they're like, okay, it's part of my job. I got to take this class. Um, right, right. So again, you know, those those two classes for me, uh, CPR and Stop the Bleed, I think if everybody in the country has those classes, um, we're going to be on the road uh, in a good way to being able to save some lives, you know, all across the country. That's pretty cool. I, I like how much it covers too, in in like just seven hours. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Um, I like that it's a combo of those other two classes. Um, yeah, I've, I've become really interested in some of this stuff just because uh, my wife and I are moving out into the mountains, um, pretty far away, and we're doing a lot of construction and all that kind of stuff. Like it's forty five minutes, fifty minutes to the closest uh, hospital. Yeah. Um, so like for that kind of situation, I saw, I was looking at your, some of your kits and stuff. Um, would that be like a build, build your own kit or do you have a kit that you would recommend for something like that? Yeah. So probably either the, uh, the expedition medic pack or that IFAC elite would kind of be an all encompassing first aid kit. That's going to have um, your chest seals. You can get it with wound packing gauze that's uh, impregnated mm -hmm. with a hemostatic agent along with, you know, band-aids and some basic medications. Um, the Expedition Medic Pack, when it's built all the way out with our, uh, all the choices picked, um, is the one that I carry in my car that, again, is 
it's got a little bit of everything in it. You know, not one of these kits is going to be your last five years first aid kit. You'll never have to restock or anything like that. These are designed for, you know, they're portable, they're, uh, they move with you, or you can stick it in the house. But, you know, again, the, even they've, the Expedition Medipack's only got, I think, 10 or 15 Band-Aids in it. You know, it's not having the the thousand. So if you're going to it time and time again, you're going to run out of those. But again, it's designed um, to uh, to cover you for roughly five days worth of, of injuries. And then handle, again, if you get it with the tourniquet, uh, a C recommended tourniquet and chest seals and wound packing gauze, um, again, you're going to be on the on the right road to recovery. Gotcha. Um, before I found your website um, a few months ago, I was looking, you know, for med kits and stuff like that. I found a site called My Medic. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of this site? Um, mm-hmm. What can you tell me? Any differences between y'all's products? Uh, be honest with you, not particularly. I've been to their website and some other of the competition when I was, you know, originally building, designing, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, there are a bunch of people that, that do think that's what is good about capitalism, right? You can mm. have a couple of people doing the same thing. And um, yeah. it, it's hard to get people into medical, though. You know, we've again, <laughs> been to some um, gun ranges and um, Atlanta Range Day. We were we were there for them for medical coverage. Oh, nice. Um, and, you know, so long as you've got a kit, you know, I think that's the important part. Uh, there's a, there's a bunch of people doing a bunch of stuff out there. And, um, you know, again, so long as the, the basics are there again, I think a, a T triple C recommended tourniquet, um, is a, a fantastic way to start. Um, and those things usually range around $35 for one of those tourniquets, like a cat tourniquet. Um, but yeah, not, not specifically that they do or don't do, you know, I mean, they, they've got a lot of advertising. I'll say that. Uh, I think their, their advertising budget is what makes them, um, yeah a powerhouse out there. And, uh, my marketing budget is not, <laughs> not <there. laughs> well, let's try to fix that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the great create for a second. Um, a lot of good folks coming out, a lot of cool, uh, a lot of cool like booths and stuff for people to, uh, to learn new skills and, and figure out kind of what they want to you know, look at to be a little more self-sufficient and self-reliant. Right. Um, what I know you touched on a little bit earlier, but like what all are you going to be doing or showing or selling while you're, while you're there? Um, so I believe we're going to have a little um, spot as a speaker, if I understand correctly, um, cool. you know, 15 to 30 minutes or, or whatever they've allotted. And in that time frame, we'll touch on uh, again, this, this bridging the gap concept, Mm-hmm. Um, and talk a little bit about CPR, talk about stoppably, talk about some basic first aid skills. Um, and then I plan on bringing some CPR dummies with me, some wound packing uh, dummies with me and tourniquets and stuff so that maybe we do the class portion, you know, again, this, hey, this is why you need to be prepared. This is how we can be prepared. Um, but then again, allow people to put some hands on and practice some basic skills of, again, pushing on a chest for CPR and uh, where and how to apply a tourniquet and what it feels like to apply a tourniquet. Mm. Um, so that's my plan as far as the the speaking part there is to uh, touch on again, bridging that gap, allowing people to um, put some hands on. And then we'll also have a, a vendor slot so that people can come up and talk and we'll have all that stuff there. Again, if somebody missed the 
the talking points they can come and again apply a tourniquet at the booth um but then we'll have some first aid kits there for sale um cool and all the components that go along with it oh that's awesome Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Like I said, I've been really nerding out about all this medical stuff <laughs> since I realized I'd be like 50 minutes away from anybody who could possibly help me. <laughs> yeah, you know, too, like a lot of people don't understand that not all hospitals are, are created equal. Mm. Um, you know, there are different levels of hospital, a level one, two, and three uh, trauma centers are, um, they're not all created equal. You know, we try and get you to the best facility that we can but depending on your symptoms, your injury, we got to go to specific facilities. So typically the further out you are, you know, your, your closest hospital is probably going to be more of a rural hospital. That's not um, the best facility for everybody. You know, I'm not saying that it's a, a bad place, but there are, there are better places sometimes different, different specialties. You know, we've run a guy who cut off uh, several of his fingers, you know, and he's like, Oh, take me to this hospital. I'm like, well, if you ever want to use your hand again, we don't want to go to that hospital. We want to go to one that's that's further away. Um, and a lot of times people don't understand that there are differences and they think, well, a hospital is a hospital. And um, right. But that's what we're trained in. That's as a as the EMS agency, the paramedic to understand that, again, not all hospitals are, are created equal or when do we call for, you know, air transport via helicopter and all those kinds of things. We have that ability to um, to implement. So. Again, some things I don't know where exactly are moving, but <clears throat> to investigate the hospitals around you yeah. and see which ones offer kind of what things. So you can make an informed decision if you ever have to call 911 and they say, well, let's go to this hospital. Like, well, I don't know. I know this hospital's better. They might look at you begrudgingly, but ultimately you have the final say on, on where you go. Gotcha. And is it just talent at the hospital how it's run or just some hospitals specialize in different things uh so a little bit of both um some hospitals specialize in certain things like the guy that cut his uh fingers off we went down to um i believe it was piedmont atlanta mm. um or yeah piedmont atlanta they do better micro surgery gotcha. um whereas like grady is the place to go for burns or um <clears throat> cobb general thing is another good place for for burns um, Choa, right, is a great place for children. Um, then if you're looking for trauma, you know, a bad traumatic injury, bad car wreck, long bone fracture, stuff like that, you want to go to a trauma facility. So Kennestone is a trauma facility, um, North Fulton Hospital, AMC, which just closed in Atlanta, was a trauma, uh, a level one trauma center. So that's throwing a wrench in some stuff because they closed a major receiving facility. So now those patients have got to go somewhere else. So a lot of the other hospitals are taking that uh, influx of patients because they don't have as many choices to go. Um, you know, some places are, are better at handling strokes, you know, certain hospitals can go in and, and pull a clot out of your brain, um, and help you, you know, recover from a stroke or something like that. So, um, again, a lot of them are, are set up differently. Um, some of them are teaching hospitals again, level one trauma centers are supposed to be teaching hospitals that have everything available all the time. Uh, whereas a lot like a level three doesn't have a lot of that stuff on site or available at all. I've run, um, heart attacks before and brought them in and they let us come into the cath lab with them. And we get in and the doctor's looking, doing his thing. And he, he finds where the, um, the blockage is and he shoot, says, shoot, I can't do anything. I got to ship them out. You know, they're like, well, dang, if I had known that I would have taken him to a different hospital where he could have done nice. open heart surgery 
right now versus, you know, we're, we're delaying. They've got stuff they can do and balloon pumps and mm. all sorts of stuff to help with blood flow. But um, again, being the informed citizen and informed uh, person on your own right and knowing, you know, not necessarily all of those intricacies, but knowing a little bit about some of the receiving facilities, um, again, I think will be good. Wow. That's very interesting. I never really thought about that aspect of it, of like wanting, needing to go to different hospitals based on what kind of injury it is. Yeah. So yeah, I just thought, just take me to the hospital. <laughs> right. And again, that's, you know, that's what we're trained and paid to do is that, you know, and, but sometimes people don't want to listen to us. You know, it's like, Hey, you need to go to this hospital. I, I don't want to go there. And I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tell them, I say, well, you understand, I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 16 years. My professional recommendation is you go to this hospital and they're like, right. Okay. Yeah. I'll take me to the other place. And, okay. <laughs> that's on you. you know, that's gotcha. what you want to do. How often does that happen? Uh, not that often, but you, you do run into it and it's, it's frustrating because you're like, I'm trying to help you. This is my job to act in your best interest. Right. And I'm telling you the hospital you want to go to is not where you need to go. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes I'll tell them, I'm going to, I'm going to have you sign something saying that I told you that this hospital was better for you. And um, you're refusing to go to that hospital because it's, yeah. you know, again, we've got time standards, all this stuff, you know, and all the hospitals have time standards on, you know, coronary reperfusion and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And um, then they get mad at you too, that you come up with something they can't handle. And then you'd be like, well, they wanted to go there. They have the ultimate decision. Um, And then they look at them like, well, okay. (laughs) We'll just ship them out later. People are stubborn, man. Yeah. Um, Um, You know, uh, people don't like thinking about terrible things happening. People don't like focusing on that. So like how, how do you or how would you go about like trying to get people to think about this without, I guess, without kind of being a giant downer? Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that's um, got to be tough. So, again, I think it really goes back to that for bridging the gap concept for me. So, mm. again, if you tell somebody, you know, if you ask them what the national average response for, for a first responder to get to their home is, they couldn't tell you. They think, oh, it's fast. Okay, well, what's fast? You know? Right. That's what we do. We try and get there as fast as we can, as safely as we can to mitigate the emergency. But they don't put a number on it. Right. right. So the, the standard average is seven to 10 minutes across the country. Some's mm-hmm. longer, some shorter, but seven to 10. OK, so now I know how long it takes. OK, well, now do you know how long it takes to bleed out, to bleed to death? Well, no, I don't know that either. OK, well, if you hit the right artery, it's three to five minutes. OK. So that's kind of how you get their their interest peaked. And well, okay, so I'm telling you, the national response is seven to 10 minutes and you can bleed to death in three to five. So those numbers don't line up. <laughs> and that's what I try and get that point across is that <clears throat> not trying to scare people, but just trying to have them be prepared. You know, again, having a tourniquet around, you know, is something a lot of people don't think about. Right. And obviously I'm I'm more in it than probably anybody else between business and working in the fire department EMS, but um, people don't understand timeframes like that. So when you, right. when you can spell it out that those are national averages and these are medical timestamps that, you know, really you can be unconscious and un, unable to help yourself in 60 to 90 seconds. If the right artery is severed. Mm. Oh, okay. Well I kind of get it. And it's the same thing 
with CPR, right? I mean, you've got to have that blood flowing constantly. And if you wait two, three, four, five minutes, the increase in brain damage just escalates every second the brain goes without oxygen. So again, if you're a bystander and you're not going to do CPR on somebody because you either don't know how or you don't want to, um, and you're waiting for that first responder to get there again in seven to 10 minutes, well, it's kind of too late. If you've watched somebody collapse and you just stand by and do nothing, um, they're probably going to be brain dead and not revivable by the time the uh, the first responder gets there. So I think trying to put really the numbers in front of people, um, again, not to scare them, not to to scare them into buying a first aid kit, but to to bring awareness to the fact that you got to be your own your own advocate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I also like um, the idea of like doing it just in case you're needed. You know, yeah. th- those skills are needed somewhere that you are. Um, that's pretty, those are pretty good incentives for me. So, I, yeah. you know, I, I mean, like in, the, in the emergency, it's always, they're looking for somebody else. Well, maybe that person will help, or maybe that person will help. You know, it's uh, the new concept that's kind of going around. It's called the, uh, the immediate responder, which is where that core immediate responder course comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I would consider myself a first responder, right? We get on the scene and we assess and do our thing. But if somebody is there during a mass shooting or during a car accident or a family member is choking, um, you're there right now. You're the immediate responder. So that's kind of just a new concept coming around is this that the people on scene already are the immediate responder. Then the first responders, the fire and EMS and police get there. But that immediate responder is there and able to help right off the bat. All right. That's cool. Um, it's been about half an hour. Um what do you have like any just basic advice or thoughts for people to to take with them before before we head out um gosh not not aside from what i've been harping on that the yeah <laughs> that, that, those numbers to me they just don't line up you know yeah. um take a first aid course um you don't mm-hmm. have to take my course i mean you can get in a, a cpr course anywhere in the country you know right. stop the bleed is not as um prevalent yet there's a few people i've taught a lot of people in the state of georgia who are becoming instructors of stop the bleed um a couple of years ago there was like me and one other guy in the whole state teaching wow stop the bleed um but yeah just look in for yourself on the on the time frames of survival and the chains of survival and um do a a, a home audit you know for yourself and think mm. okay if if something happens do i know how to be prepared um, you know, a little bit of something I've been working on is something called uh, the asset mindset that I've been kind of tinkering with, you know, but just how can you be an asset during whatever emergency is going on um, mm-hmm. and not a liability? Um, if you're able to, again, give somebody some medical assistance or be the one to let somebody go home again, that's that's all worth it. Um, the the one hour of your day uh, or six hours of your day to get some training. Um, I think is, is well worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's something that people don't do nearly enough is think, I like what you said, that be an asset rather than a liability. I think people focus on themselves a little too much sometimes and don't, don't think about the big picture. Um, well, your website is frontlinemedicaldefense.com. Um, if you want to go look at training, um, any of his kits or just uh, look at his blog, uh, go up, go over there and frontlinemedicaldefense.com. It's a good website. I was 
on it for about 30 minutes before we started talking. <laughs> we got um, Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, all the social medias, you know, trying to trying to branch out and get out there. We put some teaching stuff up on there too, as long as you can, the 60, 90 second clips, you know, but um, there's lots of good resources out there to learn stuff for free, you know, so. Um, Let's see, your next class for the core immediate responder is April 29th at 10 a.m. Yep. Um, at Appalachian Gun Range in Jasper, Georgia. And then yep. let's see, you've got Stop the Bleed coming. Yeah, May just, 20th. You just had one. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. May 20th. Yeah. Um, nine From nine to one. And then do you do CPR classes or just is that? Uh, yeah, that's more um, uh, on request. Gotcha. Um, yeah, if somebody gotcha. hires us in or, um, you know, any real number and yeah, just call us and we can uh, set up a class for you. Okay. Awesome. Dave, this has been very enlightening. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, y'all um, go get your tickets for the great create. So you can come out and I'm going to put it up here one more time. You can come out and uh, meet Dave, learn a lot from what he has to say and learn from all these other awesome speakers, awesome presenters, just, it's going to be a great time. Um, 42 bucks for adults. It's free for kids 16 and under. So go ahead and get your tickets now before uh, it gets, you know, I think it can get sold out. I think it's limited capacity at some point in time. So um, yeah, that's it for this week. We'll be back again next week. Sorry, I've been off every other week um, for the past couple of weeks, for past month, I guess, been doing a lot of life stuff. So thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you next week.